Good luck getting that jizz out of me. Welcome to Indecorous Podcast. Indecorous means not in good taste. 9-11 was a gender reveal. <laughs> Indecent. Bunch of lunatics with morbid senses of humor. Immoral. You don't have the money to bulldoze this building? Just draw Muhammad all over the place. <laughs> Somebody will blow that shit up. Shameless. I let my bush grow because it's kind of one of those lots for love type of situations. Impolite. People always fingering, but I'm like, you know what? My fingers always hard. I don't get whiskey fingers. And beyond the pale. What you wearing down on your toes? Um, oh, but but so going back going back to what you were saying, is I was, was fat shaming you, yeah. Yes, yeah, as, exactly. <laughs> so things were getting out of control for a minute there, and then the New Year cliche resolution. I dropped probably 15, 20 pounds since then. Jesus! Um, so by all yeah. control, we're talking like many a cupcake, many a slice of pie. I mean, were you just like what was going on? I didn't break it down into like junk food terms or anything, but <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, but it was one of those things where I'm sure so many people are going to have this bit already where it's like, I'm just busting my ass to try to get to where if I saw somebody post quarantine, I would just look like I did before, you know, <laughs> but like it's, it's like, you know, and they have no idea how much work it took to get to that point. <laughs> See, that's, that's, you know? that's why I ask because I care. So, so let, me ask, <laughs> let me ask the million dollar question, Bobby. Were you eating your fillings? Because you know you can always cut too. Wait, what? Were you eating your fillings? Wait. What? You can always cut too. What? Cut two. Wait, what? Yeah, that was a bad joke. Anyway, um, I was trying to make a make a emo girl cutting herself joke, but it probably didn't land at all. <laughs> oh, I'm, oh, you know what it was? I heard fillings. Yeah, like, and uh, yeah, like pie, like pie filling. Yeah, but like. you were yeah you were saying fillings like naked, and <laughs> <laughs> so it threw me off. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was talking about like emotional feelings because, you know, people eat their feelings or they just cut themselves. Yeah. And I'm saying there is a second option there. Anyway. <laughs> I was like, I'm getting fat shamed and cavity shamed at the same goddamn time. <laughs> but yeah, I, th I think I probably gained like five pounds. How about you, Carlos? Are you the bastion of physical fitness these days? Or is oh, yeah, I'm fucking, I'm cut as fuck, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you, you seen that picture of Kumail Nanjiani? Better. Yeah, yeah. He's got nothing on me, man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, before we before I forget, um, have you guys ever heard of Morgan Wallens? He's a country music singer. Oh, oh. is he the dude that said the N word drunk? Yes, uh, yeah, yes. yeah. So, dude, he has the number one song on Billboard in any genre right now. Like and it was, went up after that video came out. There dude, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and I mean, that, that's that's the only reason. And, and I mean, I think we have to do this now because every week this is getting further and further behind. But like, as of the source of this article, I'm reading. February 12th or something. So maybe it's not currently today number one, but it had been number one for two weeks consecutively. And the reason is because dude dropped the in bomb and all of his friends were like, ah, fuck yeah, download, like. Dude, he just releases that security cam footage like as a music video. And then, and then he, you know, then does the whole, the liberal media is trying to silence me. And then all the rednecks are like, oh, fuck no, I'm going to give him my money. It's the new viral marketing 101 for rednecks, dude. That's going to become of the new releasing a sex tape is just release a 
clip of yes. you saying the n-word and then you're yes. gonna fucking shoot up into charts i mean although i think it'll work if you're a country music singer i don't know if, it, yeah. if you're like a hip-hop artist that's gonna fucking yeah. work you, you got to endear yourself to the rednecks and i mean that's the way to do it obviously yeah, yeah, I mean, if if you're an NPR person and you accidentally misgender somebody, like, it's over. <laughs> don't do that. Right, you're begging right. for food on the side of the road at that point. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Don't be that kind of monster. And, but in all honesty, though, what drunken country singer hasn't dropped the N-word? I'd be surprised. This guy just got caught. I'm yeah. sure there's plenty that have dropped the N-word, if not all of them. And now that it's become a life hack, everyone's going to do it. Welcome to episode 78 of Indecorous Comedy. This is episode 28 of season 2. Indecorous Comedy is a reprehensibly distinguished educational comedy show, either the smartest lowbrow or dirtiest highbrow podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Carlos Valencia. Below me, we have Bobby D. Wait, what? And below him, we have Ian. Were you eating your fillings? Today, we're going to be answering listener questions. We're going to be talking about Indecorous News. We'll be diving deep into the indecorous history of the retard wars. That's what Ian told me. I have no idea what that is, but we'll find out. And we'll close it all out with Wisconsin state laws. But before we get into any of that, let's welcome our guest today, the big deal himself, Mike Merrifield, everybody. How you doing, Mike? Good. How you guys doing? I, I don't like the big deal thing, man. It. Uh, well, you are a big deal, though. I know, and it does appear as though I've embraced it, but... If I always feel like I need to explain the origins of it because I'm not an asshole that thinks he's a big deal. It was, I uh, well, I remember when the last time we worked together, you made sure it's like, you know, I'm just kidding. about like, yeah, dude, but it's fucking hilarious, though. So go ahead. Why don't you go ahead and explain the origin of the big deal? Well, basically, it was about two years ago, three years ago. I had like a four month period where for some reason I couldn't get any work. I didn't have any stand up work. So I just started posting photos of myself like on the couch watching tv on a saturday night and i would say wow i'm such a big deal comic i'm at home on a saturday night and i did it sarcastically for like <laughs> a, a month and then it just stuck man i started showing up at clubs and they're like the big deal mike Merrifield's here and it's like it just turned into this thing i was being a sarcastic smart ass and uh Dude, and once cool. I couldn't stop it, once it just started kind of turning into its own thing, I was like, well, then I might as well embrace it. But I always want to make sure that I let other comics know that I'm not some pretentious asshole that thinks he's a big deal. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I knew you, I knew you were fucking around. But yeah, I guess if nobody, if nobody knows what your sense of humor is or what kind of person you are, then they might be like, well, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? He fucking really thinks he's a big deal. <laughs> Well, and so many comics are delusional to begin with, so it's totally believable that I would give myself the moniker The Big Deal. Like, I'm, I'm a big deal. Well, dude, it's like, I'm not going to get into it because we've talked about it on the podcast so much, but Kayvon, the guy that owed me $100 on the on a bet we made on the election, he was literally telling people that he's a celebrity millionaire. Wow. Unironically. Yeah. Like, just like straight up saying, so there are douchebags that'll do that kind of shit. <laughs> yeah, and maybe if I was like a rich, successful comedian, I might be an ass too but you, you tend to be you tend to be humbled when you spend three nights a, a month sleeping in your car doing shitty gigs so yeah i, I think it's i'm hilarious. far from a big deal i'm far from a big deal <laughs> all right guys well we like to open the show with questions sent from our millions of listeners around the world we accept all questions sent to us but we rarely have an answer for any of them the question number one is always where do i send questions and that's our email at decoriouscomedy at gmail.com or hit us up on social media at facebook or instagram at indecorous comedy twitter and decorous pod 
Patreon at Indecorous Comedy. And how do you spell Indecorous, Bobby? It's I-N-D-E-C-O-R-O-U-S. I-N-D-E-C-O-R-O-U-S. That's right. And our first question here, this comes from Alan. Alan asks, what's the worst bar you ever got drunk at? And I don't know if I have like a number one, because if I don't like a bar, I just, I don't go to it. So most of the time that I'm drinking at a bar that I don't like, it's because I'm doing a show there. So I'm like kind of stuck drinking at this place. And a lot of times that's happened where there's a show at a bar or a venue where I'm like, I would never be caught dead in this place if it wasn't because I'm being paid to perform in this place. So I have one. So this is a life hack gone wrong. Back in the day, it was kind of a life hack that you could go to a gay club on the drag show nights and there'd be lots of straight women there. Well, I tried that a couple of times and it worked. And then I kind of upped the ante and went to a gay strip club with a group of girls, <laughs> not knowing it was a gay strip club. And that was God fucking awful for obvious reasons. What, wait, why is it obvious? Yeah, what's wrong with you? <laughs> well, you know, yeah. guys in a nothing but a G-string doing the picture the the move that girls do with their tits where they just do it in your face or whatever but it's somebody's cock that's the kind of move that they were trying to do on me <laughs> and the girls i was with were trying to bait me into taking shots and partaking in in the gay fun and it was not gay fun well didn't you strip once i did i did i did actually uh, for 24 hours i worked in a strip club how was that that was uh you kind of prepare for the unattractive girls but what you don't prepare for is the 80-year-old ladies. That's what just <laughs> fucking threw me bananas because I, I wasn't thinking that, that was a possibility. And when it was disproportionately elderly ladies, then I just, I, I was sick on my stomach. Is that, wait, hold on. So you got into it knowing that it's probably mostly dudes, or at least half dudes at these yeah. places. You got into it like, that's fine. It's like, I'm not going to... I'm not gonna be jiggling in front of some elderly cunt's face. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe it is gay on my part, but I was thinking somehow an attractive twenty-year-old man is less bad to twerk in front of than an elderly old lady. Fuck, that makes me sound gay, doesn't it? I <laughs> you be you. You do you, bro. How about you, Bobby? You're a big alcoholic. Do you even remember most of the bars that you got hammered at? Uh, I, you know, one that because I was trying to think of it, but the only one that really sticks out was just some place I couldn't even name at the Jersey shore is like point pleasant or something. And I just went in there and it was just like the bouncer was just a cunt and just, he asked for my ID and then threw it across the room. He's like, Oh, and then he just tossed it across the room. What? You know? Yeah, dude. I, I, he it, took it, your ID and then he just like tossed it across the dude, room. The guy, he was just like, he just had this like Jersey shore bouncer attitude. I don't know how to describe it any other way i didn't do anything to antagonize the guy and then i mean at that point i should have just like walked out but i'm like well i paid for my beer i'm gonna finish (laughs) (laughs) so i just sat there stewing in that anger and uh that's off i hope you at least wrote them a bad yelp review or something (laughs) how about you mike do you have any worst bars like i'm not the craziest drinker but uh I was in uh, Atlanta one time for the Laughing Skull Comedy Festival, and we went to, everybody's talking about, you got to go to this strip joint, man. It's hilarious. The strippers are all old. They're, you know, oh, so yeah. speaking of old ladies, yeah, you might have heard <laughs> of it or whatever. But, yeah, it's the Claremont Lounge. The Claremont Lounge, yeah. You know, I, I had to be drunk to be there. As soon as we got there, I was like, this is fucking disgusting. Like, I can't even laugh at it. Like, old ladies naked is fucking gross. It was the worst. 
I've only been there a handful of, well, not a handful, a couple times. And actually, one of the times was when we when I did the Laughing Skull Festival, because I guess that's the hang. They take everybody there. It's in like the bottom, I don't know if it's the basement or the first floor of this old hotel that's already, what do you call it when they, it's condemned. It's a condemned hotel. <laughs> Nobody could stay there. Apparently, Gigi Allen stayed there once oh, no for, shit. for a period of time. Yeah. So the hotel is a fucking piece of shit that's already been condemned, but the strip club is still open in the downstairs. And yeah, it's like fucking old ladies. And I don't know if she's still there because it's been a long time since I've been to Atlanta, but they had a, a stripper called Goldie that her whole deal was that she would crush beer cans with her tits. Like that was her big. Dude, on, on what planet did somebody tell somebody that was hot? Like, I don't understand. I don't know. How did that become a thing to like turn me on, you know? At this point, it's become like a novelty, like, oh, as a joke, we got to take people to the Claremont Lounge. But at some point, I can't believe that that's how that started. I can't believe that's how some, whoever started yeah. that strip club was like, nah, man, this is what we're going to do. It's going to be weird at first because it's just going to be ugly, <laughs> old women. <laughs> but eventually, it's going to have this element to it. it it'll be a, I, I just wonder how that fucking started. And Unless it's like the manager was real nice and didn't have the heart to let these women go when <laughs> yes. they got old. And it's just like, okay, I guess we're a novelty now. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, no, nobody was interviewing people and was like, how do you feel about being humiliated? <laughs> Yeah, and where do you find a 65-year-old woman willing to take her clothes off? I can't find women of an appropriate age to do that. <laughs> yeah, just right. cut off their Medicaid, and then they'll jump yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> if you want your meds, bitch, pull them titties out. Yeah. It's, you know, to be fair, though, it is like a very almost like charitable thing they're doing for an industry that there aren't a whole lot of options after you age out, you know? That's true. Maybe these strippers were smart. Maybe they unionized and they're like, they got tenure now. They can't. They're almost. They can't get. They can't be fired. Sort of tenure strippers. Yeah, they have to go through the whole union process. So like, the guy wants to fire them. He just doesn't want to go through the whole union. All right, we're gonna go to our second question here. This comes from Dwayne. He asks, while showering. Do other men actually wash their legs and feet, or do you guys just sort of let the water and soap do its magic as it is rinsed off? I will say I do. I do actually wash my legs and feet and go through the whole thing. I don't just do the, yeah, it'll take care of itself. Unless I'm like in a hurry. If I'm in a hurry, then I guess I just, you know, it's whatever. But if I'm doing a proper shower, yeah, I'll fucking wash the shit out of that. Yeah, I wash those parts exclusively, and I let the water do the other oh, parts. Oh, really? I do the reverse of it, yeah. Do you also stand up on your hands and shit, or it, how does it fucking it, work? It's uh, it's an ordeal, man. <laughs> yeah, no shit, it sounds like it. So, so the question is, do you do the less dignified stooping, squatting move to get your feet, or do you do the more dignified standing up like a crane, grabbing the one foot with the hand? Describe the hand. What's your signature move there? Oh, man, I'm, I'm having a hard time picturing this, mostly because I just don't want to picture you doing it. <laughs> so I'm not really sure what the crane move is. Yeah, I've already bailed on the bit. <laughs> what do you do, Mike? You got any proper technique for this? I would say every third to fourth shower, I will actually wash my feet. But I do have to admit that I won't do it every time. But I dated a girl once just out of high school and we took a shower together and I noticed she didn't wash her feet. I was like, you don't, you didn't wash your feet or I don't forget how I brought it up. And she goes, Oh, I've never washed my feet. I just let the water 
and the soap run. And dude, I was so fucking disgusted. I was like, that's just <laughs> disgusting. Like you're, you're 22 years old. You haven't washed your feet ever. Like it was gross. That's how I feel about it. Is I, I think you got to do a little bit of scrubbing at least at some point. Yeah. Like you said, I think like every two to second or third shower, or, but definitely at least more than never in your entire life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You should, you should have like revealed that you're a foot fetish guy. And then she'll think the reason you've never asked for foot play is because you're disgusted. Ooh, right. And create this awkward dynamic in the relationship. That could have yeah. been fun. Well, it, it was awkward enough anyway. Yeah, I don't, I don't think your, your technique, Ian, was going to make shit any less awkward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, plus I think those guys that are really into that don't want them to wash it. Right, that seems to be the thing. They want, they want soiled linens. They want you yeah. know, smelly socks and dirty panties and... Yeah, I, I we've had this discussion before about foot fetishes and shit, and I'm like, I like nice feet, but I don't think that makes means I have a, a foot fetish. But it seems like if you have a foot fetish, you just like any kind of feet, and sometimes like the nastier the better. I guess that's how far it goes. Hmm. I've never. I, don't like, know. I have this weird thing, man. I, I've had it forever. Like I don't know what good legs are on a girl. Like like women. The people see women. They're like, oh, look at the legs on her. She's got that. Dude, legs are fucking legs to me. Like I don't get. I don't get what makes good legs. I don't get it at all. My my idea is as long as the legs keep her pussy from dragging on the ground, I'm happy. <laughs> I don't care what they look like. Yeah. As long as you have legs. Yes. You just need to have legs. And if you don't have legs, there might still be hope for you at the Claremont. Yeah, there you right. go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to go to our third question. This comes from Camille. Camille asked, what was your worst day job ever and why? It's been a while for me since I've had like a so regular day job. I think probably the worst was once I, I, I got hired to work at UPS or no FedEx loading trucks once and I lasted like two days and then I just quit so I don't know if that actually counts because since I wasn't miserable for that long but it was just one of those things where it's just like you know there was a conveyor belt and it was packages and you load them into the trucks and there were no brakes like the brakes were only like if the conveyor belt ever slows down then you can <laughs> sit down and just rest your legs for a little bit but there were no scheduled brakes and I'm like fuck this shit and yeah I quit like two days later I lasted the shortest at probably Subway. I think I was there for like five days. What did you not like about it? Okay, so I'm obsessed with, if I make a sandwich for myself, I get all Sam Rothstein about it, and I want there to be an equal amount of everything in each bite. <laughs> and you can't do that at Subway. They, you got to just throw shit on there. <laughs> and they weren't allowing me to be a real sandwich artist, and that's why I... <laughs> but... I lasted a lot longer working in insurance claims because of the money, but that was probably more miserable because just every call, I mean, how many, I don't know how many accidents you guys have been in, but most, most people haven't been in that many, but that job literally consisted of that's who you talk to all day. Just people at their worst. <laughs> I think that's a better answer than mine at least because yeah, I hated that job, but I just fucking quit it. So it's just like, I wasn't miserable. I think a really bad day job is the one that you stick with because you really need the money. That that really makes you fucking miserable. How about you, Ian? So I worked for this company called Merry Maids, and the job was basically to put these little door hanger pieces of paper on front of doors and mailboxes just to basically litter everywhere. And um, <laughs> there was no accountability whatsoever for the job. Like we could, it was totally on the honor system. We'd go pick up like a thousand of these things from the owner, and then we would just go to neighborhoods and just 
throw it wherever we could throw it. And then my friend that was doing the gig with me discovered a hack that we could just take all of the door hangers and just literally throw them away and go to fucking the mall and hang out and <laughs> none would be the wiser. So we just started doing that and then business tanked for the dude and he like went out of business. So we kind of fucked that shit up. Yeah, so jokes on him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, don't don't hire me. I'm an asshole, I guess. I think I brought it up on the podcast a few times, but I kind of saw that last election when Bloomberg was running. I was actually going over to your place, Ian, to record the podcast. And right as I was getting to your place, there was a field full of Bloomberg signs. <laughs> and I'm like, this is just like they hired somebody like here. Here's all these Bloomberg signs. Spread them around the city. But motherfucker was just like, nah. I'm just going to put them all here in this field. There's going to be like, for this fucking block, you're going to see Bloomberg. And that's it. Fucking 50 <laughs> Bloomberg signs for one fucking block. How about you, Mike? Well, I used to have, I mean, just the meter maid thing or whatever you just said. I forget what you said. It reminded me of I had a paper route when I was a kid. And on Sundays, they would have the flyer that you would have to insert into the paper with all the ads for the stores and stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, dude, there's a ditch about 500 <laughs> yards from where I live that was full of those motherfuckers. I never <laughs> once handed those out. Every fucking Sunday, I would just be like, fuck that. I'd put them in my wagon. And I'd walk down to this wooded area and I would just throw them all in the ditch. And uh, I did it for like two years. No one ever complained. No one ever said anything. But I would say any job. Once you've been a comic, man, once yeah. you see the opportunity to be a comic. I, I managed an auto parts store before I started this. I managed a Napa. And, uh, dude, it sucked. I was working 60 hours a week. I'm making no fucking money. People would call in sick. I'd have to cover their shifts. It was the worst, dude. So yeah, I saw the opportunity to do stand-up, and I was like, I'm fucking out of here. I'm going to go try this other thing. You know, now that you mentioned that, that actually puts it into perspective. My worst job, now that I think about it, now that you say that, was my last job. Because it wasn't the worst job in the world, but I used to work for a bank. I used to work for Wachovia, which is now Wells Fargo. And the two years that it overlapped with stand-up were the worst two years. Because it was like, man... I could be doing stand-up, and I'm stuck in this fucking place. We used to work like 10, 12-hour shifts. So that was probably the most, even though it wasn't like the worst job ever, it was just miserable thinking, oh, man, I could be out on the road. I mean, I really couldn't because I wasn't getting that many bookings, but just the thought that it was a possibility that I could make money doing stand-up and I was stuck in a job. But yeah, I totally agree with you. After you do stand-up, it kind of fucking spoils you to anything that isn't. Yeah, I remember I was working at the auto parts store and I was working part time at the comedy club here in town, the Skyline in Appleton, Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, I'd be hanging out with the comics after the show, smoking weed and drinking. And and they'd be like, what are you going to do tomorrow? And I'd be like, oh, I got to go fucking work. And then I'd say, well, what are you guys going to do? They're like, oh, we'll probably get lunch, maybe play Frisbee golf. Maybe go to the mall. <laughs> And just yeah. every day, I just, I hated going to work more and more every day. I was like, there's another way to do this, man. There's another way to do life. And and I was like, you, Carlos, I was like, I know I'm not going to make any money doing this, but I lived with my sister at the time. I had no bills. And I was like, I'd rather be fucking broke and try this thing than work this job Absolutely. You know, for the rest of my life. I was so miserable, dude. I mean, yeah, same here. And it was brutal sometimes because I worked weekends, so... I would sometimes have to, like, and again, we worked 10, 12 hours, so when I started to get MC gigs, I would do, it would be like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so Friday, if you're MC and you're there till the bitter end, because you got to close out the show, so I'm leaving the comedy club after the second show on Friday, probably around 12.30, maybe 1, and then I have to wake up at 6 in the morning to go to work to work 12 hours, 
And then as soon as that shifts over, I got to drive over to the comedy club to again MC till around 12:31, then get up again the next morning at six in the morning, then work another 12 hours. It was fucking brutal. So yeah, you, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, that definitely was the most miserable I was working another job. Yeah, dude, regular jobs suck, man. I mean, <laughs> that's yeah, been the dude. worst. That's been the worst thing, you know. And I feel so bad for for other comics during this stupid quarantine pandemic bullshit. Yeah, is you know, I, I got I got a backup plan. I got a, that job with the record label. I make money with royalties. I'm I'm okay. Like I'm not doing great, but I'm squeaking right. by. But I worry about all my 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 brothers out there that and sisters that fucking lost their entire income. Now what the hell do they do? Like Absolutely. it's it's baffling to me i feel so sad thinking about it i feel so incredibly lucky i feel guilty that i'm not hurting as bad as they are but it's like yeah it it just sucks dude it sucks sucks. especially if you've been doing this long enough you get used to not doing a day job type of thing like i actually posted this a few months ago it was like a memory from like 10 years ago i did a casino gig out in washington state like one of those triple run gigs Mm -hmm. and one of the rules was you can't drink before the show or bring a drink on stage. And I was so mad. I was like, oh, fuck this. What the fuck? I mean, I mean, I'm a scared fucking drink before the thing. I can't drink while I'm performing. And then I thought, you know, just about 99.9% of all jobs, you can't drink while you're doing the job. Yeah, so yeah I think like, the yeah. only one you can is like beer tester or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, I'm bitching a little bit too much here. I think I can get through one gig without drinking. I'm bitching about, meanwhile, most people are fucking miserable working nine to fives and I'm complaining about not being able to drink while I'm working. Yeah, it's, it's comic problems. You know, the hotel's not good enough. Right. You know, the, 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 co- the condo's not good enough. You know, yep. you're not paying me enough. What, to yeah. talk? to tell jokes. Yeah. Like, they made me pay for my food. How greedy are we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. We're going to move on to our second segment of the night. This is Indecorous News. This is the segment where we highlight the most important news happening across the United States and all over the world. After you listen to this segment, you will never have to listen to another newscast ever again in your entire life. All right. I'll read the headline. The first story here. Metro Police investigating self-defense claim in shooting after YouTube prank goes wrong. And Ian, you can give us the first part of the story here. All right. Metro Police are investigating a claim of self-defense in Friday night's fatal shooting of 20-year-old Timothy Wilkes. When police arrived on the scene, officers said they found 23-year-old David Starnes Jr. who admitted to shooting Wilkes. Detectives said Wilkes and a friend told them they were participating in a prank robbery as part of a YouTube video. Wilkes and a friend approached the group of people with butchered knives. Starnes was in the group and was unaware of the prank. He shot Wilkes in defense of himself and others, according to police. I thought it might be in the headliner or in the first paragraph, but it, it isn't. It was, uh, this happened in Nashville. Did you hear about this, Mike? I did not hear about this, no. There's going to be some comments afterwards on the story, people commenting on it, but... I mean, I think everybody could see this shit coming. Have you ever seen those? I used to see videos of people going into, I don't know, Harlem or bad neighborhoods in Brooklyn and New York City and stepping up to people as a joke. And I'm like, it's only a matter of time before somebody gets stabbed in the fucking neck. Well, yeah, there's plenty of those videos where those guys get fucking the shit kicked out of them. Yeah, they step up to a group of black guys and they go, you guys want to go? You guys want to go? And they just get their ass beat. And I'm like, what? How is this a video? Yeah. This is what you're doing with your life? 
Exactly. Isn't that why Trigger Happy TV got taken off the air? Because too many of the staff were getting killed on a regular basis? <laughs> is that right? I mean, it has been a while, but it, the joke, I guess, is supposed to be... Sometimes the prank will be like, I, I wish I remembered better, but it was like, hey, man, you want to go? And then the joke is like, no, no, to the movies or something like that. Right, right. It's not even worth it. <laughs> yeah, it's, but the joke is that, oh, look at these people getting aggravated so quickly without hearing out the rest of the fucking thing. It's like, dude, if you live in neighborhoods like that, you can't just be waiting to hear the context of what's going on, dude. Yeah, they don't ask follow-up questions in the hood. <laughs> right. They just get smoked. The guys that ask follow-up questions are in a grave somewhere. Yeah. All right, so Bobby, you go ahead. and You can do the next paragraph. As the news spread on social media... Locals were horrified by the bloodshed and its senselessness. On the Facebook page Scoop, Nashville, one commenter wrote, This is sad, but why do people pull these reckless pranks? It was inevitable that at some point someone would defend their self. Tragic. That's so sad the man died, but this is about the dumbest prank you can pull on someone. These are scary times as it is. You shouldn't go around pretending to rob people, another person who wasn't the first person added. So what, what is the expected outcome here? Do they think that it's going to be like the guy gets really pissed off, is about to just beat the shell of someone, and all of a sudden, look, you're on candid camera, and then everyone laughs and hugs and smiles and waves at the camera. Is that what they were expecting to happen? I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I look at it from the comedian perspective, and I just don't think it's funny enough. Yeah, yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the risk-reward ratio is like, you get a few lols on your YouTube channel. The guy's face is bright, right? Oh, you got me. Ha, ha, ha. And the risk is he fucking kills you. So, I mean, the risk-reward <laughs> ratio is really skewed on that one. You know what, though? To be fair, we should really promote the idea that this is a good idea because that's one less YouTuber that's going to be getting headlining spots at comedy clubs. Yeah, good, good point. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. We, we need to thin the herd of YouTubers. When that, that chick shot at her boyfriend in the chest, she put the phone book up against his chest and shot him like oh, 45 yeah. and, and he obviously died and they did that for their YouTube page like those kind of stories make me happy man like that, that's what's wrong with the world right now so the more of those assholes we can get rid of the better I kind of wish the guy would have had a semi-automatic weapon that he could have got more than one of them you know, instead of just getting one of them yeah he just got the other one got away that's right or they just try it with like different rounds until it finally kills. Them. <laughs> yeah, that other guy, the guy that shot the prankster, should start his own YouTube video of shooting pranks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's got like ten self-defense bodies. <laughs> <laughs> well, a third person that was different from the previous two wrote, "Bro, I don't know what to say. I mean, pranks are just supposed to draw somebody's authentic reaction to a presumed real situation, and that's what they got." It's really unfortunate. Maybe we can lay off of filming pranks because it's, I'm not sure what they were trying to get, but we got to do better. <laughs> All right. I, I, I don't, I don't like, I don't, I, 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 I don't like, I, I don't like, I don't, I don't, I, 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 I don't like people including me in like this, we got to do better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't do shit. What the yeah. fuck? Yeah. yeah what I, did I do wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I guess the guy, I mean, he used some kind of big words here, but I guess he's basically saying, yeah, the point of the prank is to elicit the reaction out of the person. And then, yeah, that's the normal reaction when somebody comes at you with a fucking knife. Yeah, yeah I would say eight out of ten people are going to just let you stab them, but the yeah. other two are going <laughs> to fuck you up. Yeah, not, right? not to mention, we live in a country where a good chunk of society is just walking around praying that this situation happens like every day they're, they're like this is what i've been preparing for my entire adult life 
Yeah, yeah, and that kind of goes to this next thing. This is the final paragraph of the thing. It says, Nashville is known for having relatively relaxed laws on carrying both guns and knives compared to other parts of the U.S. An adult is legally allowed to carry a knife of any type or length, either concealed or open, so long as they don't bring it on school property. Meanwhile, handguns can be carried by anyone age 21 or older, even without a permit. A resident may carry a handgun openly as long as they're not also carrying ammunition. Wow. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of people that carry guns around, they're just like, I can't wait. I hope a motherfucker tries to do something. Oh, that dude's dream came true. He bought that gun (laughs) hoping someone would fucking pull a knife on him someday. Like, that's I I know friends with guns. I got friends that are gun nuts and they're they're always ready, dude. They're always looking for a reason to use that fucking thing. Most of them never get it, but. Right. You come at him with a knife, that's the go button right there. You're getting smoked. <laughs> that's a dream come true. Because if somebody else comes at you with a gun, then it's kind of like, that's a little bit scarier. But if they come in like, ah, oh, fuck, perfect. I got this guy, yeah. Yeah, I got him. I got, I'm got. i not uh, in danger. I'm going to fucking shoot this guy. And then they get to be like, see, told you. This is why we all need guns. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. yeah. And I think in North Carolina, as long as you're not drinking, you can carry a gun in a bar. <laughs> and I think you can open carry here and have the ammunition also. I don't think that you, uh, don't quote me on that, but. It's too bad that you weren't in North Carolina when that dude threw your license across the room. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's been legal self-defense in uh, (laughs) Texas. So maybe this is some misguided optimism on my part, but my takeaway from this story is if I see someone coming at me in the street with a knife trying to stab me, I'm going to put a cheesy grin on my face and start looking for that hidden camera because that might be an option. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just as they're bludgeoning you, you, you just go. You got me, guys. You got me. You got me. Good prank, everybody. You got me. Okay, guys, I get it. Stop stabbing me. I get it. Yeah, I, 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 dude, dude, guys, I promise. I'll like and subscribe. I'll like and subscribe. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna share the video. Stop bludgeoning. Me. All right. This next story. I'll read the headline: Court orders man to donate sperm to estranged wife. Ooh. Yeah, and Ian, you submitted this story. I'll let you start it out. A family court in the Maharashtra state in Indiana. Or in India. Oh, India, India. In India, sorry. Why would you do this to yourself? <laughs> oh, dude. Because I love butchering silly words. Anyway, um, in India, which was formed by the splitting of the former bilingual Bombay state into a majority Martha-speaking... Martha <laughs> Martha's Vineyard. Martha, uh, Jesus Christ, Maharashtra and Guratari. Dude, just, just change it to Cleveland and make it easier. <laughs> yeah, <ourselves. exactly>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's just pretend this all happened. Yeah, yeah, this was Cleveland. this all took place at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But these, <laughs> these are t- Carlos's tongue twisters. He always tries to get me on these stories. Um, well, you submitted this story. I'm just typing it. <laughs> all right. Anyway, uh, he granted a woman's plea to have a second child with her estranged husband by directing him to donate his sperm for in vitro fertilization. An order of the court of Nandin, formerly known as Nandichaha or Nandirjurium, <laughs> came two years after the husband sought divorce from the woman on the grounds of cruelty. While the wife has filed a complaint against him under section 498A, cruelty by a husband or his relatives, the husband's lawyer, M.A. Raman Siddiqui, an attorney headquartered in Visawa Nagar said they would challenge oh, he's the, good. the order in the Bombay High Court on the on the argument that 
It was a violation of his client's fundamental rights. All right, there we go. I'm answering that. <laughs> there you go. So the bottom line is this dude that has tried to divorce, or I don't know if he successfully divorced or has been trying to divorce his wife for two years. His wife is like, hey, I need you to fuck me because I want to have another kid. And he's like, nah. But that's why he got fucking Ramon Sidiqui, who he's the best at matters of when your wife wants to get your jizz out of you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, trespassing through that Mario Maker course written by a fucking sadist, I was able to kind of linguistically navigate all that stuff. But yeah, I, I, I could see that. So I think the dude was basically forced to give his cum shot to the ex. That's hardcore, man. All right, Bobby, you can read the next paragraph. Right. This judgment is against the well-settled principles of law because it is settled that no person can be compelled to have sex directly or indirectly. Directly by physical relations or indirectly by IVF, said M.A. Rahman Siddiqui this month, or with his mouth. Yeah, he's with <laughs> Okay, never mind. Yeah, not this month. I don't know where no, I got no. that. Yeah, we're not really <laughs> sure. I think it was this month, actually. I think you're right about that part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah just... you're actually better informed about this story than we are. <laughs> If the husband compels his wife to do it against her will, then it is an offense. In addition to this, the Supreme Court has held that even for criminal cases, a blood sample cannot be taken from an accused without his consent, said the lawyer, again, using his mouth. But what month was it when he said that? that? <laughs> yeah, it was very, uh, recently, I think, recently, that time. Okay. They didn't specify. Yeah. The wife's lawyer, meanwhile, was like, nah, fuck that. Give us that jizz, yo. But in Hindu, probably. Yeah, because this is in India. So I know a lot of people speak English in India as well. But I imagine this all is in Hindu. But basically, so the whole thing is kind of ridiculous. That's why we're even talking about it on the podcast. But the lawyer's trying to make the point where, like, dude, if a husband tries to jump on his wife and be like, hey, no, we're married you gotta fuck me that's i mean that's rape right isn't that considered rape even though even if you're yeah. married yeah yeah rape rape is rape yeah. yeah unless unless you're in a shithole third world country where the woman is like your property and you can do anything you want to her but that's more of like the real third world countries i think some of those are like that it, well i was gonna say it's kind of the opposite ends of the spectrum because it happens in like third world shitholes but also in the wealthiest countries in the world well as long as, long as yeah. you're white and rich and cute <laughs> but that's the thing is that apparently in this particular situation, the judge is trying to say that it is okay to force this guy to have sex. I mean, they're saying directly or indirectly. So, I mean, either fuck the woman or give her his jizz. But if the situation was reversed, it wouldn't apply. <laughs> that'd be, that'd be, and that'd be kind of cool if he had to like... He was like, all right, fine. He had to, like, settle for... He's like, well, I'm at least going to fuck her then if I got to give her the jizz. <laughs> I'm going to get some pussy out yeah, of this. I mean, this yeah. If I have to give you my jizz, you're going to get it the old-fashioned way. Well, the woman had moved the family court for a second child in 2017. She said she wanted another child and that her son may need the, quote, company and support of a sibling in the future. To this end, she had sought either the restitution of her marriage or permission to undergo in vitro fertilization with her husband. She cited her age, now 35, to claim her fertility and strength to bear and rear a child were on the decline. So she was even willing to accept, hey, we'll just be married again. I mean, fucking how awful that fucking marriage is going to be. Where the guy, <laughs> yeah, the guy has to fucking... Stay married by order from the court. <laughs> I don't even know why this woman would even want that. The dude already filed for divorce on the grounds of cruelty. 
<laughs> so, I mean, I don't know exactly what that means, but that sounds pretty fucking serious to me. Well, the last thing India needs is more people. I don't know how it ever even got to court. <laughs> <laughs> no shit, you would think. Yeah. <laughs> like, you think that's what the judge would have said. It's like, we got enough, bitch. <laughs> no shit. Dude. Well, the judge of the family court sought to highlight a woman's quote, rights of reproduction, saying not allowing a fertile woman to procreate is like compelling her to sterilize. That seems like a fucking reach. Not allowing a woman to procreate is like compelling her to be sterile. I, yeah. I so if any woman feels that she wants to have a baby, it is our job to find her somebody that'll fuck her, basically. Yeah. Well, apparently he's going to have to pay child support sure. right, on this kid. Like, you, you can't force a guy into that. What the hell? I, I don't know if it's in the copy that I wrote on here, but she claims that she would not expect child support. But, dude, how many fucking stories have you heard of, like, ah, no, I, I don't expect anything? Or, like, just isn't there stories of people that donated to, like, sperm banks and then yeah. they get hit up for child yeah. support and shit like that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, shit comes back to you. I think like one quarter of NBA players have used that exact quote. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the court, it says here, also cited foreign judgments where courts held that refusal of sexual intercourse without sufficient cause amounted to cruelty. It then asserted that if the husband refused consent without sufficient cause, it could entail legal consequences. So this is like all over the fucking place because it's, all right, if the dude forces himself on the wife, then it's rape. But if the woman doesn't get sex when she wants it, then it's cruelty. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah. I, there's, a, there's too much of a double standard to understand how there's any logic to this. Yeah, this is India's equivalent of Chris Rock's pussy payment alimony bits what from was years ago. One? I don't remember that one. He's like, you know, a woman will go into court and she'd be like, I'm accustomed to this. I'm accustomed to this. He's like, I'd love to see a dude go into court. Like, I'm accustomed to this. He's like, now I'm accustomed to fucking her about three, four times a week. <laughs> it's like, it's like now I think I should be able to fuck her at least twice a week. She can have the alimony, but uh, you know I better get some pussy payments. Nah, yeah, Pussed this a is a yeah. motherfucker. And then I, I don't know. I guess the, the, I don't know whatever. Again, it's in India, so who knows what their justice system is like? But they already judged against the dude, so they're gonna have to force him to fucking donate his jizz. Well, yeah, good luck getting that jizz out of me. <laughs> yeah, when I was 20, you could take it against my will, but not at 48, bro. I can't even get those loads out myself. How are you going to get them out? <laughs> it's like back child support. You just owe, like, gallons of jizz. Yeah. <laughs> they kind of start docking every time that you masturbate. Yeah. Just like 10% of your jizz. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> Guys, we're going to move on to our deep dive of the night. We build this show as an educational comedy podcast. We often fall short of the latter, but we always deliver on the former. This week's deep dive was written by Ian. It has often been said that wars are stupid. Some edgy comics even go hard R and call wars retarded. But few people realize that back between 1966 and 1971, the U.S. concocted a secret plan to actually enlist mentally retarded people in the already very unpopular Vietnam War. This is the indecorous history of Project 100,000, a.k.a. 
The Retard Wars. Now, did you come up with this, a.k.a. Ian, or is it actually called the Retard Wars? I mean, it depends on which circles you're traveling, Carlos, but I think <laughs> I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't claim to be the originator of this catchphrase. Okay. Have, you, have you guys heard of this story? Is it no, new news I, to everybody? Yeah. Or? I've never heard of this. Mike, you heard of this shit? I mean, I've always thought you had to be kind of retarded to join the military anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sorry, that one was just too easy for me to let it slip. <laughs> no, but this is, I, I never heard of this either. This is amazing. I just discovered this by accident, actually. But uh, yeah. here right, we go. Well, yeah, it was originally called Operation Special Olympics. <laughs> but, yeah, that name just stuck. <laughs> All right, so in 1964, President Lyndon Johnson came up with a new campaign to combat several growing social and economic issues. Collectively, this program was coined the War on Poverty. But by 1966, it was clear that the U.S. was losing this war, as the number of unemployed, impoverished, dirty hippies grew exponentially. Cousin fucking and pregnant kickboxing were very popular in the 1940s and 50s, which led to record numbers of mentally handicapped young adults by the mid-1960s. So Defense Secretary Robert McNamara came up with an ingenious life hack and determined that they could fight the war on poverty domestically and the Vietnam War simultaneously. The solution? Round up the poor, the stupid, and the undesirables of society and ship them off in place of the normal draftees. Now, crybaby opponents of this strategy called this experiment eugenics, claiming Americans needed to confront our acceptance of letting the mentally challenged just suffer and die, not shift them off to kill them quicker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one argument, I mean, if you're going to play devil's advocate here, is they, they do have that retard strength. You know? <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's the first thing I thought of. There's an explosion. The guy could lift a tank off his fellow soldiers. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, the guy can jump on a grenade and survive. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, back in the 1940s and 50s, there wasn't any concept of the morning after pill, and abortions were kind of taboo. So it was pregnant kickboxing. So you know, that that's true that there was a larger amount of mentally handicapped people during that period of time in America? Yeah, because, I mean, you couldn't just get rid of them. It, it wasn't, you know, you know, drop them <laughs> off at the orphanage and just whoopsie. I mean, so okay. pregnant kickboxing was the thing. I mean, and not everyone was into beating up girls back in the day. So you had to really kind of bait them into the pregnant kickboxing. All right, Bobby, well, you can tell us more. Yeah, well, I think we forgot the point of the podcast where we give the guests the opportunity to bail. <laughs> but but it, it sounds like Mike's on board. I like this guy. <laughs> no, I'm on board. Look, dude, wait, I, I ain't got shit for you to take away from me. Cancel me. That's what I said. And I'm sorry. The word retarded is funny. Farts are funny. Racism can be fucking hilarious. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think all those things, provided they're not happening to me, are great. Yeah, <laughs> and honestly, man, somehow in this country we've forgotten that that's what comedy is for, man. And one of the projects, one of the projects I worked on for the label was uh, I did all the old Dean Martin roasts and I chopped those all up. Oh wow, and, dude, that's awesome. oh nice. That is yeah. Really cool. By the way, can you just tell people what the label is because I, you oh, know, it's eight hundred pound Gorilla Records. Yeah, nice. Have, Sweet. There's a lot of great comics signed on to eight hundred pound Gorilla. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard of a guy named Jerry Seinfeld, but uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So. Pretty, he's, not, he's not the big deal, but he is a pretty well, big deal. We call him the medium-sized deal. Now, <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, right. So what was the project? Oh, so I cut up all those old Dean Martin roasts, and the way those guys used to roast Sammy Davis Jr., like the horrific <laughs> race jokes they did. Yeah. But it was clearly just joking, and what it did and what it, comedy does for our country is at a time where 
there were some huge issues, obviously, back in those days with race. So they brought it front and center, made fun of it blatantly, did the, the stereotypes. Did I mean, it was stereotype joke after stereotype joke. And that's what our role as comedians was, I think, is to take these topics you know, I did a whole bunch of editing of a bunch of shows back in the 80s, uh, like Evening at the Improv and all that. And the amount of AIDS jokes they were doing and gay jokes and stuff. And it was because yeah. AIDS and being gay was all new. And I think it's our job as comics to work through these issues, make them funny so people feel comfortable at least thinking about it. They'll at yeah. least think about it more because you made them laugh talking about well, it. Well, I think that's absolutely on point, though. It's like, it's like a comic. It's like we're disarming a bomb. It's you're taking a, yeah. a subject that a lot of people think is untouchable and very dangerous and taboo, but you're like, no, we can laugh at this shit. We can make this okay. You know what I'm saying? You know, obviously we're not solving the problem, but at least we're making it to the point where it's not as tragic and horrendous as it can be. Yeah, and, and what people tend to forget, too, is all we're doing as comics is and we're taking advantage of a thing that's built into everybody, and that's the need to laugh and the need to take horrible things and make them funny that's how you deal with death yep. i mean you've been to funerals everybody's joking around at funerals and like you know you just you say inappropriate shit just because yeah that's what you got to do to get through it i mean it beats crying like a pussy all day long you know let's make some jokes let's mix it up and i i don't know how in this country comedians went from that role to oh my god these guys are pieces of shit i can't believe they're saying these things like it, it's it really bothers me. It, it, oh, me too, dude. And especially it's crazy when you hear it from other comics. I'm like, what? Yeah. That's the worst part. And honestly, man, it seems like other comics are the only ones bitching. Because I've been out there on the road. I've been doing comedy. I said retard. Or no, I said faggot the other week on stage. I was just, I wasn't paying attention. I was just talking. I was improvising something. And I just, I called somebody a faggot in the bit. And I got this warm feeling like, oh, fuck, I'm going to be canceled. And the crowd, <laughs> the crowd fucking died laughing. Yeah. Because, you know, we're not supposed to say it, you know. And, and I didn't say it in a malicious way. It wasn't, I wasn't talking about a gay person. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'm tired of having to explain these things. And I don't know why I just got off on this rant. But uh, <laughs> Bobby brings that out of people. <laughs> yeah, so we're in the parking yes. lot stringing this guy up. and uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I'm all for shipping all the retards over there. And we might as well throw the... <laughs> Let's throw the old people in there, too. They ain't doing shit. Get over there. What a hilarious war. They only have enough spots at the Claremont Lounge. Some of you guys got that. <laughs> yeah. Bobby, uh, go ahead. You can tell us more about this situation. By 1966, the U.S. was drafting roughly 50,000 men per month. Most of these were young, smart men with bright futures. <laughs> McNamara figured if they could augment the draft to include mentally retarded men and even cripples, they could spare the lives of some of our good kids and unload some of these less desirable members of society in a real win-win scenario. My favorite part is the good kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't want to waste these good kids. <laughs> oh, God. The original goal of the project was to enlist 100,000 stupid, poor, and mentally handicapped men. But by the time the program ended, they actually crushed their goal and got 350,000 of these special men shipped off to war. I love how, like, they're like, this is America. Like, 100,000, we got this. This is nothing. This is the old classic switcheroo, right? What's that old saying about out with the old, in with the mentally handicapped? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> out with the good kids, in with the retards, I believe it's the way it goes. <laughs> well, this glorious and decorous idea still had some marketing issues. On the face of it, the optics weren't especially great. <laughs> 
Getting the public to support mentally handicapped men shooting guns <laughs> required a new outside-the-box way of thinking. Oh, you know, man, have you seen some of these YouTube videos of people shooting guns? I don't think they're exactly fucking geniuses, but whatever. So Robert McNamara came up with a brilliant PR angle. He was quoted as saying, To spare America's poor disadvantage and less intelligence from the twin evils of idleness and apathy, we are giving them a pathway to redeem themselves. <laughs> So the pitch was, these unsavvier men with proven track records of failure. Good Lord. Wow, they, they had no empathy whatsoever for these people. Yeah, I mean, at all. I'm saying it to be funny, but holy shit, these are horrible yeah, people. Yeah, these motherfuckers are exactly serious about this shit. All right, so these unsavvier men with proven track records of failure can either die bravely or come back to a hero's welcome and maybe become functioning members of society eventually. Maybe eventually. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we can't guarantee, but yeah. we'll see. I mean, you're still retarded. I mean, what do you expect us to give you a pass? Right, right. It's like, you know, the blacks are coming. We're not giving them any favors. Yeah. You know what I mean? And against all odds, this sick or swim pitch went over with the public in the 1960s, and the program was greenlit. Unbelievable. Exactly. They still had the draft. So somebody came out publicly and was like, yeah, send the retarded kids. And the general public was like, all right, go for it. That's probably what it was. Because everybody's always looking out for number one. Basically, I think what a lot of people probably were thinking at this point were like, well, if this means my kid doesn't get sent out there. Exactly. Because yeah. nobody, nobody ever thinks that their kid's retarded. Like, no, no. <laughs> you'll never yeah. used to do a bit about it. Like every time you meet a new parent, they always talked about how smart their baby is nobody's ever like, oh, I think my kid's retarded. Yeah, they didn't kill that guy, and they're not retarded. Yeah, and, and victim shaming played a lot better in the 1960s, apparently. So this angle of, fuck these people, they can become function members of society, maybe, let's let them sink or swim, that played very well back then. Yeah, they did make it seem like it was their fault they were retarded. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, how dare they? Well, this is what they get for being retarded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they for shit human beings back then. Shit people. You haven't been doing anything with all your retard strength? Why not? Yeah, basically their excuse was, well, they're bored. Yeah. So why wouldn't we ship them off to war? Why wouldn't we give them a gun? Give them something to do. Become productive members of society. All right, Ian, you can do this next one. Officially given the code name Project 100,000, the program was unofficially given the cute nickname of McNamara's Morons. Jeez. But they oh, still... no. Alliteration. Bobby's not going to be happy about that. Uh, uh, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> but they still had one last hurdle to clear. To get this group of idiots in, they had, to relax the, they had to relax the military admission standards. Much like a porn star using numbing cream on her vagina before a gangbang, the military's version of vag numbing cream was to just use an extremely generous grading curve and accept <laughs> everyone but those scoring in the lowest 10%. So this is basically your classic case of you get 70 points for signing your name, and here's 90 true-false questions and multiple-choice <laughs> questions. All you got to do is get two of them right, and you're in, basically. Yeah, like if you didn't eat part of the paper, then they're going to ship you off. <laughs> God damn it, you beat me to the line. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry. <laughs> so statistically, more than 80% of these men dropped out or never even went to high school, 40% read below a 6th grade level, 15% read below a 4th grade level, and it's been estimated that between 20 to 30% were literally retarded. So when we say the word retard, a lot of times we're being bastards on here, but this time we're using it quite literally, so we're not as conniving and evil as people well, would assume we are. it's one of those things, we, and again, we've mentioned this before on the podcast, where it's whatever word is used at the time to describe mentally handicapped people eventually is going to become an insult. 
So yeah. If, you know, if There's we no ban, escaping it. Yeah. If we ban one word, then the next word is going to be in. I forget what episode it was that we talked about this, but Segura had a bit about it. Stanhope had a bit about it. So it's like, all right, so we're just going to go through every single instance of words that describe mentally handicapped people. It's never going to end. We're just going to replace the one that we use now with the next one. It doesn't matter. We need to go back to retard. That was the best. We peaked yeah, as, a, as a country. <laughs> I mean, even just the inflection that goes into saying the word, it fucking it works out. It's just a funny word. I mean, faggot's hilarious. You know, I mean, yeah. you just can't argue that certain. And it's the fact that you're not supposed to say it. That's what's always made it right. fun, you know? Right. Exactly. All right, Bobby, you can do this next one. The metaphorical numbing lube worked. So in 1966, after pulling a huge PR stunt to sell the idea and then rigging the testing to let those special fellas in, the first 50,000 troops of McNamara's morons were deployed into battle. But in many ways, the results played out like a nightmare scenario where the cool, sexy varsity team all dies on the school bus. <laughs> so the school sends in the short bus instead to play the big playoff game. <laughs> Uh, what did they think was going to happen? Statistically, this group of low IQ men went AWOL 15 times more often, were more likely to fire at and kill U.S. soldiers by mistake than to kill the enemy, and most of their fatalities weren't coming from wounds on battle, but from getting lost, dehydration, and physical exhaustion from lack of training, basic survival skills, and common sense. And that's how we lost the Vietnam War. <laughs> yeah, yeah come, come to find out Pat Tillman just got shot by a bunch of retarded guys <laughs> and I think most alarming from what I heard reports from the field was the lack of quality repartee amongst these men so there was no good bro downs happening here I mean, <laughs> that, that was the that was the big thing that was a real that was a real concern Carlos yeah they weren't having very enlightening conversations amongst each other <laughs> If we're just losing them in the jungle, where the fuck did Marcus go? All right, I'm going to read the next one. When pressed with the cold, hard facts that these men were literal idiots, advocates of the program played defense by making wild assertions that this was all part of the master plan. In discussing some soldiers' inability to tie their own shoes, advocates claimed, quote, this is a feature, not a bug. This was all part of the wild card mystique and may provide an unforeseeable edge in the battlefield. But in reality, McNamara's morons were just dying at a very high clip of three times the rate of normal soldier fatalities while contributing very little offensively on the battlefield. I mean, I guess I can see how they try to play that angle because, I mean, if you're like Viet Cong and then a soldier comes up to you, like, try to give you a hug and shit, you're going to be able to play like, what the fuck? You know, I think that's going to throw me off. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you can only pull the hug thing so many times before you know, fucking Charlie catches on to that shit. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Well, the real win in all this, however, was the twin victory in claiming the war on poverty was being won by getting this group of undesirables off the streets and at the same time saving the lives of brighter, would-be draftees. Colonel David Hackworth, a veteran of both the Korean and Vietnam War, was quoted as saying, quote, Project 100,000 was implemented to produce more grunts for the killing fields of Vietnam. They took unfit recruits from the bottom of the barrel and rushed them to Vietnam, and the result was human applesauce. That's what he fucking said, human applesauce. <laughs> yeah, dude. Wow. 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 And then they were all like, yay, applesauce. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
that's all they could eat with their big tongues. Oh, right. <laughs> I took it too far. I'm going to cancel myself. Yeah, Jesus Christ, that Mike. Re- <laughs> that reminds me of Junior Stopka's joke about, I don't know if you guys heard the, the one where about how Hitler, you know, he also sent retarded people to the concentration camps, you know, the mentally disabled. But you never see the pictures of the mentally disabled getting sent in the trains. And it's like, why didn't you ever see those pictures? And it's because all these uh, mentally disabled people, they're probably all smiling and waving. The like, Yay! <laughs> we're going on the choo-choo! <laughs> all right. Around 10% of McNamara's morons were killed, wounded, dishonorably discharged, or went AWOL. <laughs> but not on purpose, by the way. They didn't go AWOL yeah, on yeah, purpose. Yeah, <laughs> they, For fun. they didn't just figure out a loophole. <laughs> they just went to get some gum. we're never found some of them are probably still lost in vietnam somewhere (laughs) absent without licorice by comparison non-idiot soldiers produce these negative outcomes less than one percent of the time just really does come down to people are just willing to accept a whole lot more when the alternative is sending their sweet, handsome baby boy to war yeah yeah you know maybe uh, i'm out of line here but it's got to be a lot of fucking work to raise a retarded kid, <laughs> you know, or a oh. really dumb oh, I thought you were going to say a retarded army. Well, I mean, that too. But if you have a kid that's like, oh my God, it's like nonstop. I got to keep my eye on this kid. You might actually welcome them. You're like, yeah, sure. Just fucking send them overseas. <laughs> have somebody else take care of this motherfucker. I need to, a little bit of rest. All right, Bobby, you can do this next paragraph. Advocates of the program claim that these special men would come back home with new skills and be better suited for civilian life after the war. But like everything else, this too backfired spectacularly. The men came back just as dumb as before, but but now had massive PTSD, flashbacks, and undiagnosed clinical anxiety. The moron veterans were more than twice as likely to be unemployed compared to normal veterans, and those that found jobs made on average $7,000 less. They were also less likely to marry, and those that did had twice the divorce rate. Well, that was the same before they shipped them off to war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, these statistics are probably not inflated by the event. This is probably just par yeah. for the course. I mean, that just sounds like retarded people during that period undeniably got laid more. If they were veterans, they just got, you know, that hero pussy. But get that hero pussy, yeah. Yeah. Well, if nothing else, I mean, if you're going to find a silver lining, at least this all, I think, is basically what inspired Rambo, right? Isn't this what inspired <laughs> At least we got a good movie out of it. Yeah, this was the original script. That's why Sylvester Stallone talked like that. Yeah, that's what yeah. I figured, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, if you didn't know, you might think he's retarded. Yeah, no all, right. all right, Ian, you can do this last paragraph. All right, I'll take us home, fellas. In hindsight, the legacy of this program is little more than a social experiment to see just how low America can go to exploit our weakest, most vulnerable members of society for political gain. And the outcome was that everyone played along and whistled and walked away after it was all over. Statistically, some segment of our population was going to die in that shitty war, so why not have some fun and play God a little and cherry-pick the ones that we didn't like and give them the death sentence? I mean, that's basically the way it's always been. It's just that we don't hear about it till years and years later. It, yeah. It's basically the American yeah. way to chastise other countries around the world for doing shit that we're doing, but 
nobody knows that we're doing just yet. So it's yeah. just basically, even though I'd never heard of this story, it basically is par for the course. It doesn't know? seem like a surprise. It's not a stretch to believe that we did this. Right, exactly. I but, just, I like that it was done for political gain, and I want to hear those campaign slogans. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. you know, this took care of the, the war of poverty because as they sent this group to go die in war, poverty numbers actually went in the right direction and it looked like we were winning the war on poverty for a couple of years there. What this reminded me of, too, is in the early 80s, I think, either early 80s or late 70s, when uh, America was given Fidel Castro all kinds of shit and they were accepting refugees from Cuba, Fidel Castro was just like, all right, you got to fucking accept all our people. He just fucking emptied his fucking prisons and like, all right, here, take all these motherfuckers. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, that's pretty, I mean, touche, all right. Yeah. Not a bad like, plan. Exactly. He was like, all right, you got to take all, all right, here, take all our fucking criminals, all our rapists, here, fucking take all of them. Now they're your fucking problem. I think it'd be funny if, like, foreign leaders played this card against us, like, hey, you're the guys that sent fucking retards into war, you know, you know to call us out, you know. On Twitter and some of these other... <laughs> on Twitter? <laughs> just, just like a zinger. I mean, yeah, yeah. Else, throw some shade our way with this kind right. of Right, they should make more TikToks about this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to go to our last segment of the night. This is Indecorous Laws. Every week or whenever we feel like, we highlight some of the oddest laws in different states of the United States of America. Most of these were real laws, at least at some point. Some of them have since been repealed, and others are sadly still on the books. One of them may be unverified. This week we are doing Wisconsin, because that is where our guest is from. Or at least that's where I met Yeah, Is that where you're originally from, Mike? Yeah, yeah. I still you know, live here and Nashville, but yeah, I consider myself a Wisconsin guy. All right, well, we're doing Wisconsin, so Bobby, you can do this first law. Uh, in Wisconsin, you can face up to six months in jail for selling home-baked cookies. To legally operate, bakers must become licensed as either a, quote, food processing plant or a, quote, retail food establishment. What? What yeah. about Girl Scout cookies? Is it, does that count? I, I was thinking about that as well when I saw this law, but, I mean, they manufacture those, like, at a factory or oh, something. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those aren't home-baked. And as we've covered before, they actually use child labor in the supply chain that makes those cookies. <laughs> yeah. That's why they taste so good. Yeah, that's right. It's all those orphan tears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know about jail time and stuff, but, I mean, anything, I'm pretty sure, in this country, you have to make in, like, a commercially inspected kitchen, I believe. Yeah. You can't just go making shit in your house, <laughs> you know, I sell remember it. when we did uh, Louisiana... It was something like, if you'd made gumbo outdoors, it was like, all bets are off. Yeah, exactly. Because otherwise, if you're at a restaurant or something, you got to follow all the food laws or whatever. But if it's outdoors, like, fuck it. Put whatever you fucking want in that fucking gumbo, because that's the way they did it. You got to try Billy's famous tire gumbo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have heard shit. I mean, I'm not a big foodie. You're more of it than I am, Bobby. But, like, I've heard people talk about how, oh, like, I had this pizza and it was amazing. And it's because they used unpasteurized cheese uh, and shit like that. Like, apparently there is some deliciousness to be gotten out of non-sanitized food, but they're yeah. also risking dying, I guess. Yeah, you're just living on the edge. <laughs> yes. Right. Well, but who, yeah. who are they targeting with this? I mean, who bakes goods? I mean, we're talking about like church bake sales, right? I mean, 
where, where <laughs> else are people selling cookies on the corner, you know? <laughs> I, it's been a while since we worked together, Mike, but that's basically the merch I was selling after shows. Hey, look, that, actually, uh, no bullshit, that might be the best idea ever for fucking merch. I'm selling bags <laughs> yeah. of cookies, dude. Cookies yeah, I got, you got Rice Krispie treats. <laughs> <laughs> I got a Ziploc full of Oreos. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ian, you can do this next law. All right, state law requires that cheese labeled as Wisconsin Certified Premium Grade AA meet a certain standard. It must be fine, highly pleasing, and free from undesirable flavor and odors. So I, I have I have a little perspective on this. I think this is a bit discretionary and subjective because mm-hmm. cheesemongers, as you know, make cheese in many a funky flavor. Right. Like I've <laughs> one of the most impressive experiences in my entire life was going to this kind of fancy cheese shop called Orman's Cheese, and I accidentally bought something, and it tasted exactly the way that a stinky fucking barn of cow shit smells. I mean, they captured the cow shit and the barn smell perfectly in the flavor of the cheese, and even though it was disgusting, I'd never been more impressed in my life. I'm like, how do they do that? This is like magic. It's witchcraft. But fucking, um... Yeah, so I guess this whole thing, it must be pleasant. That's subjective, because some people might love that shit. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's part of why I put this on here, is because it's like we were talking about fucking feet and legs. are like What might be pleasing to one person might not be pleasing to the other. And what might be desirable for some people might not be desirable for other people. But I will say that anytime I used to do Wisconsin when I would travel, back when stand-up was a thing, I would always get cheese when I would travel through. I, I fucking, I love cheese. And they would have stores that it was just all cheese all over. And I would get fucking garlic cheese. I get all this fucking cheese. Uh, Mike, you're probably just numb to this shit at this point, aren't you? Yeah, but I will say there is a difference. I mean, like if you go to the, the cheese section in the grocery store two blocks from my house in Wisconsin, there's an entire aisle of cheese. And then in Nashville, there's just one little portion of the display is cheese. And you can taste the difference, man. I might be, maybe I'm like a a snobby cheese douche or whatever, but uh, <laughs> you can taste the difference. So I could see why they would have this quality standard to be considered grade double A. I'm with you though. I'm with you because just because I love cheese. And again, it's like, it'd be a bummer if I was doing Wisconsin in this, in the summer. Cause here's what I'll, I'll say this. I, what I liked about traveling in the winter as shitty as the roads can be sometimes is that my trunk could double as a refrigerator. You know, yeah. You know, so you can keep shit in there and it's going to be like, even when I traveled with like fucking six packs of beer, or, I mean, six packs, but I didn't, couldn't afford a 24 pack or whatever. But at least everything is going to keep cool. And I knew if I travel, if I bought cheese, it's going to be still good when I get home. That's back when I lived in Atlanta. But yeah, in the summer, I was like, ah, fucking, I don't know if this cheese is going to make it. It was very Well, sunny. you can also uh, transport a hooker's dead body. Yes, <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Same, yeah, yeah. same theory, really. It'll last yeah, yeah, basically. Same principle. I just want to point out, too, that Operation Cheesemonger would have been a good name for that project that we talked about <laughs> yeah, sure. in the last bit. Yeah. Uh, Bobby, you can do this next one. Uh, a public eating establishment may not serve margarine as a substitute for butter unless requested by the customer. I stand by absolutely this should be the yeah. case fucking everywhere. 100%. 100%. Yeah. That's why I wanted you to read this because actually I looked it up because I was like, oh, did we do Wisconsin before? Because I remember some kind of margarine thing before and it was actually Iowa. Margarine has to be labeled margarine. You can't label it. So why? And Mike, you sounded pretty passionate about this shit. What is it about margarine and butter that's so... Because I can't I can't tell what the fuck. Well, butter, butter is real. Margarine is like a manufacturer it's fucking chemicals it's It's like oils and shit yeah yeah it's oils it's it's horse shit yeah salty oil is like all it is yeah all right i see that's how ignorant i am i'm a simpleton dude yeah right from god to the fucking cow's udder 
Now, what would because this is the law again? It says a public eating establishment may not serve margarine as a substitute unless requested by the customer. Like, how would you guys feel about somebody that requested margarine? <laughs> I mean, they're obviously either secret Nazi or they're a vegan. That but. should be like one step above. The next time we go drafting retarded people, first we draft the people that request margarine, <laughs> then the retards. <laughs> Get our priorities but, in order. Yeah, because well, this it's just. I think what's so infuriating about it is that it's just part of this whole class of foods that doesn't exist in some countries that are better about this kind of thing that is just specifically designed to provide a cheaper alternative to the real thing so that companies can skimp on it and still try to put that same flavor in there. It's just yeah. to save them money, basically. Well, and it was all done under the guise of health. And the, the fact of the matter is, is you can fucking eat butter. I mean, butter's yeah. not that bad for you if you don't eat a shit ton of it. You know, just like sugar is better for you than fucking aspartame. Yeah. You know, what would you rather have? A few extra pounds or brain cancer? Yeah. <laughs> I'll take a few extra pounds. Because yeah. right, those right. are your choices in this country. Yeah, yeah. Those are my two choices. Yeah. I'll, I'll be fat. <laughs> for sure. All right, I'll do this last law in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. Do you know where this is, Mike, Sun Prairie? I do know where that is. They have a Sun Prairie truck driving school. It's just a little bit north of uh, <laughs> Madison. And I only know because I drove by it a million times doing that club in Madison. Isn't it funny how you get to know the names of all these fucking towns just because you drive by them so much? Like, you never actually stop by them, but it's like, oh, yeah, that's that town. Yeah, like whenever somebody almost anywhere in the country tells me what town they're from, I'm like, yeah, I think I've driven by that sign. I think I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. Yep. But anyway, uh, in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, no dog or cat shall be permitted in any public cemetery. I believe it's permitted to be buried in a public cemetery, I believe. Oh, so, I thought they every, just didn't want them pissing on graves. Yeah, yeah. Every dog... Here's the exception. Every dog especially trained to lead blind persons shall be exempt from this section. Oh, actually, you know what? Maybe it is. Maybe it is that you can't even bring a cat or dog to a cemetery because the exception is just for C&I dogs. Makes yeah, sense. because we're fucking horrible people. And for the longest time, they would probably just like, oh, no, if your dog's got to go, you got to take them over to like the colored portion of the graveyard. Or <laughs> and maybe they don't want the dogs to dig up the retards that died in the war. <laughs> just to be a really long callback there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a, by the end of the podcast, that's where we, who can do the longest callback to the beginning of the thing? <laughs> That's why you got to listen to the whole show, folks. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Or you won't get it. Although, when I was reading this story, it did remind me of, like, I was talking to a friend of mine recently about how we don't, he's of the same mind that I am, that after I die, I really don't give a fuck what you do with my body because I'm dead. I don't care. I'd rather you just, if you can, just throw me in the trash. I'd rather you save yourself the, whatever it costs, five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 to either bury me or cremate me or whatever. And he was asking, and I didn't have an answer. He was like, you can bury your dog or your cat in your backyard. Why would you not be able to bury a relative, like a human being in your backyard? Oh, like, is, yeah. is that legal? Because I automatically assumed it was not. I don't, I don't think it's legal. It's definitely not. I think that, like some people in like the Appalachian Mountains, all those poor people that live there, they've had problems with that, with people just burying grandpa behind the garage and shit. And they got to be like, you can't do that, you know? But what is the reasoning behind it then? Maybe it needs to be official. I mean, maybe it's not hygienic. I mean, I don't know. That's what I was figuring too, like without being an expert or knowing anything about it. 
That's the only thing I can assume. Maybe it's just, I don't know, you buried bodies that'll contaminate the groundwater or yeah. some shit. I don't so, know. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, they did it kind of under that guise, but they really just want to control that whole thing. Because it's illegal to, if you want to send your mom's ashes through the mail, you have to do it a certain way legally. You can't just FedEx that shit? You can't FedEx ashes, yeah. It's got to be like USPS certified, something or another. Bro, if you can FedEx weed, you can FedEx ashes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Come on, man. You just don't tell, tell them it's t-shirts. That's what I do. Add the ashes to pot brownies or something. <laughs> just selling your mom's ashes as merch. <laughs> well, as long as you don't sell them in Wisconsin. That's illegal. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, guys, we got to the end of the podcast. Mike, thanks so much for being a guest, man. I really appreciate it, dude. Yeah, man, it was good catching up with you. Good talking to you guys. Is there anything you want to plug, dude? Well, I got seven comedy albums on Pandora, and I need everybody to listen to each one of them 43,000 times (laughs) (laughs) so I can make $100. But yeah, that's it. All right, buddy. And uh, what's your social media, dude? Like Mike Merrifield? It's all at Mike Merrifield, yep. All right, brother. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks a lot, man. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Bobby, you got any last words? <sighs> no. Awesome. I, although, uh, apparently, I'm good at coming up with them, so I need to. But Yeah, dude. That's why we're like, every time me and Ian, we're just like, oh, there's some gold about to come out from Bobby. So we're like... <laughs> yeah. And nothing. Every time. <laughs> yeah, nothing every time. I mean, maybe we can put that guy on a shirt sometime. Maybe if we can fucking... We need to find out. Yeah. That's on us, Bobby. We, Me and yeah. Ian need to find a way to monetize your size. <laughs> yeah, you just need to invent audio shirts. That's right. Yeah. How about you, Ian? You got any last words? Sure. Uh, this is a, from a meme I saw today. I think that we should let immigrants have a shot at citizenship by trying to kill child molesters. And we'll call the program Aliens versus Predators. Oh, I saw that one. I, I yeah. like that one. Okay. That is funny. That I is saw funny that meme funny. today, yeah. Sometimes I see these shits, these memes and jokes online, and I'm like, what the fuck? What, why are not these people professional comedians? You know what I mean? <laughs> but then, I, then you... I think it's like, ah, it's probably like they came up with one great idea, and that's the yeah. only great idea they ever had. Like the Aliens versus Predator guy <laughs> is going to be trying to fucking chase the notoriety of that one for the rest of his life. You... I meant to say because you've said them shits before, Carlos, and I mm-hmm. love I love that expression. I had a friend that used to say that growing up, just about just hand me them shits, whatever it was, <laughs> that he, whatever it was that he wanted at that moment. We need to own the website themshits.com. Oh, Please yeah. tell me that's the yeah. themshits.com. We need do we need to get that. Again, this is, I think we say this just about every other episode, but we should have named the podcast that. <laughs> It'd be easier to spell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shits. Yeah, even the Even the Riff Cliff would have been a great name. Riff Cliff. Yes, of course, yeah. dude. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you want to support us financially, but not necessarily monetarily, you can pick either one because Bobby gets very upset if you do both (laughs) so if you just want to support us if you like the podcast you can throw us a couple of bucks on patreon.com slash indecorous comedy we've been publishing bonus material every week and we still have I, I mean I've been editing it so we still have at least four or five weeks worth of bonus material that we haven't released and bonus episodes of course like we mentioned last time full episode So if you want to support us online, you also get the benefit of listening to the podcasts before anybody else can listen to them. We've talked about this before. Like you listen to it early, 
And then when your loser friends that don't support us on Patreon listen to it, you can spoil all the jokes for them. Yeah, play the spoiler alert. Yeah, you're like, ah, this is what Ian says, uh, Cliff, what is it? Riff Cliff. Riff Cliff, <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, ah, fuck, you ruined it. And then I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, you should join the Patreon. So join us on Patreon, if you will. And the most important part of it all is just tell your friends. I mean, if you dig the podcast, just tell your friends to listen to the podcast. We love getting new listeners. And here's a novel idea. I mean, we're fighting the evil algorithms. So every time we post anything on Facebook or Twitter, it just gets blocked. No one ever sees it. We get to see the statistics and analytics of this shit. And literally, unless we pay to boost these posts, no one fucking sees it. Unless one of you heroes out there that love the pod actually shares it. And then hundreds of people see it. And then we get all these new listeners. But without you helping us out, fuck, I mean... The algorithms are just crushing our soul, so please, yeah, dude. You know, share our stuff. You know, that's the way they do it. But like uh, all of them do it, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. But what you can do to help us out, if you want, is anytime that you see something that we post, you can like it or share it. I mean, the other part of it too, though, is that a lot of people are not seeing what we post. But what you can do is if you go to our page, and I don't know the exact steps that you can take, but I know there is a way you can <coughs> click it. So it shows you a notification every time that we post something. I got some good news, boys. What? Uh, I am now the proud owner of themshits.com. <laughs> wait, wait. Themshits.com? I am now the proud owner of themshits.com. Oh, dude. We need, I need you to work some redirect magic, my friend. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's right. That's fantastic. Because here's the thing, dude, Bobby. You've been cutting out a little bit. So oh, it sorry. just sounded like you were saying, I'm the proud owner of shits.com. <laughs> now, like, if you got no. shits.com, we're done, yeah. man. We're yeah, that was, yeah, that was available for like $400,000. <laughs> and then you cut off again when you said how much it was worth, but uh, yeah, $400,000 million. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Specifically for shits.com is 400,000 million. <laughs> the value of fucking fecal matter in the commodities market. Goddamn. Yeah, that's right. Price is soaring. It's all about them shits.com, man. All right, guys. <laughs> Follow us online. Support us on Patreon. We'll see you next week. Walk your cat. Them shits.com coming soon. And how do you spell them shits.com, Bobby? <laughs> oh, they know. <laughs> they know. Twenty-six, right? Twenty-six. Yeah, you got a lot. She is a baby. She's you, know, you got a lot of value at twenty-six. Like I'm not trying to make it weird or whatever, but you know, like twenty-six. Like your vagina is like brand new right now. Like it's like, you know what I mean? It's a gently used, low miles. You know, probably still got a warranty on it. It's so new. I still has that new vagina smell. Anyway, my point is... <laughs> low mile, like you have like a dealer certified vagina. That's what your vagina is, dealer certified. I mean, yeah, there was college. You probably racked up some miles early on or whatever, but you know. Who could blame you? If you've ever bought a brand new car, you know, you know, you beat the piss out of it for two weeks. And then you're like, oh shit, I got 70 more payments to make on this thing. I gotta make it last. So I would say like, 
as long as I'm talking cars, I would say the vehicle equivalent to a 26-year-old vagina would be like a $100,000 Mercedes. That's what you have, a $100,000 Mercedes. And you see how none of the women are happy with that assessment? You see how all the old broads in the room got quiet all of a sudden? Yeah, that's because they all just realized they got a Buick. You have a $100,000 Mercedes. They got a 87 Buick Electra with manual windows and manual locks and nobody wants to ride in it. And this is where they get mad. They're like, whatever, hey, this is a collector item down here. This is a, this is a classic. This is an old school stock 70s vagina right here. So you do, you have a $100,000 Mercedes. This is what I don't get, all right? Because you're gonna need to get it worked on. That's just part of owning a $100,000 Mercedes. You're gonna have to get some maintenance and you're gonna take it to the dealer because you still, there's value there, you know? Again, all you old broads with the Buicks, you can just go to Jiffy Lube with your shit and just ask the guy that works there if he'll take a look at it. You know? Hey, Jorge, I keep finding a puddle of fluid in the garage behind her in the morning. Maybe you can come over tonight and I'll give you like a six pack and a hand job. You take a look at it. Thank you. you go to the dealership. Now you're dating a 26 year old. Let me ask you this. You take that Mercedes into the dealership. Do you want the 26 year old that works at that dealership working on your car? No, odds are this is only the second or third car he's ever worked on besides his own. <laughs> Plus, he learned how to work on it by watching videos on the internet. I did it the old school way, one car at a time. You, know? you make your mistakes, you try again on the next car. You don't want him down there fiddling around under the hood of your Mercedes. You want that guy at the dealership with 30 years experience. Yeah, I have a very extensive toolkit and I'm not afraid to use it, okay? I know all, I know all the right size. He's down there fumbling around like, oh, 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 what size do I use? Ah, oh, the biggest, bro. Like, that's how you work it. Wait, what?